Hello and welcome back to Fully Booked, the Hidden Gems author podcast, in which Craig Touch and myself, Roland Hume, chat some of the interesting figures and leading lights of this crazy industry we're in of writing and self-publishing. And today I am delighted to have with me the author and publisher of the award-winning Last Lumanian series, S.G. Blaze. Thank you so much for joining us. I particularly love your necklace, which is like a little star. Oh, thank you so much, Roland. It's hinting, right? It's what I wish for the future. <laughs> Absolutely. I love that. I'm all about the law of attraction. You, you, you uh, attract what you project. So exactly. thank you so much for joining us today. And of course, we wouldn't be here without the man himself, Craig Touch, the owner and founder of Hidden Gems and an author himself. How are you doing today, Craig? Doing really well. Thanks uh, for joining us, SG. And um, I wanted to say, like, you know, well, first of all, yeah, the star. I love that. You you want to wish upon a star? Well, you're all you always have one available. <laughs> That's awesome. Right. Um, so yeah, you know, we had talked a bit about uh, the different things that you could discuss, and one of the things you had mentioned is the idea that I mean, you've been a writer for for you said ten years now. You've you've got five books out there, um, and you've done a lot of uh, work with editors and you were talking to us about how um, you know your peers often ask you questions about the editing process um, so we thought you'd have you on to share some of that wisdom with us so why don't you first of all tell us a bit about yourself and your your writing journey and and how you got here and then we'll we'll jump into it Absolutely correct. Uh, my name is S.G. Blaze, and I'm a sci-fi fantasy author. I was born in a land of castles, monarchies, and fallen dictatorships, also known as Hungary. It took 10 years to learn the language and another few years to start writing my first book, which was The Last Lumanian. And throughout this process, I went through a lot of rewrites, revisions, finding the right editors. So, boy, do I have some tips for you. <laughs> exactly bless you thank you <laughs> I, I, my brother used to live in budapest so like i'm and oh, hungary has some amazing stories what a wonderful source of inspiration oh thank you it definitely inspired the world building and uh, the idea actually came to me for the first book when we were in 2012 a cross-country road trip in europe and we were in vienna when i had a dream and i had to write it down and that was the base of the first book and of course, you don't just start with an idea, you start working on it. And you can't talk about editing without looking at some sort of structure or some form of roadmap that you create for your book, right? We have to know who the hero, what their goal is, and are they going to achieve at the end? And if they achieve it, how does that look like? So I always tell fellow authors and writers, to start the editing first on your own manuscript. And that starts with structure, check the hero, do they have a goal, is it clear? Or do they switch goals in the middle? Because often uh, writers think that the goal is something that you can come up in the middle and then that's okay, it's not. You have to imagine the goal as a river. You know, there is bands, there is twists, you learn new information, you adapt, but the, the goal stays the same. So that's step one in the editing process. And step two is to do a lot of rewrites. It's always scary for writers when they hear rewrites because it sounds like a lot of work, and it is. <laughs> but remember, in the beginning, we learn writing simultaneously as we're working on our first book. 
So it's completely okay to have multiple rewrites, change the story from that original idea that you thought was brilliant, and it is brilliant, but it's okay to work on it, to change it, and then start your story and always check, is this original? It has Have I seen this before, right? Is our hero underdog, someone who's relatable, someone we can empathize with? It's uh, the basic of editing is always the macro level, the structural level, and then you can look into the cosmetics of do I have too many adjectives? How do our sentences look like? There are a lot of things you can do before you look for your editor. Yeah, you want to make sure that you're um, giving them the best book possible. Otherwise, you know, they're going to end up, you know, taking longer. It's going to end up costing you more. But also, I mean, if you're sending them your book before it's really fully fleshed out, you might end up having more than one round of edits. And you definitely don't want <laughs> to keep sending it back and forth between uh, yourself and editing, right? Um, it's interesting, too, because like if you're writing in um, English, which is not your native language, that's also got to have, you know, given you some hurdles. When you write these books, do you write them only in English or are you writing them in your native language as well? I'm only writing in English, Craig, and that's yeah. because I'm thinking in English. I sleep in English. I drink and eat in English. I do everything in English. And that was the 10 years that I had to learn to completely switch the thought process. Now my Hungarian is so bad, my mom constantly <laughs> mocks me that I have an accent in Hungarian, so now I have an accent in English. There's no, no great solutions here, but it's so important to immerse yourself. And one of the best ways to do that is reading. And I would tell fellow authors and writers to read a lot of books in your genre, but also outside of your genre. See what works, uh, see how they do things, anything that inspires you, write it down, let it blossom into an idea. We have inspiration and ideas all around us, and it's important to find what works for you, find the structure that helps you to deliver your story, and do the work upfront, as Craig said, to avoid a lot of editing process because it does get costly. Usually it takes two rounds of edit for my book, and that's just for the line editing. And the reason, because the first draft is rough, and then my editor points out plot gaps or inconsistencies, or the thorough logic is not consistent. And then I work on that. I add scenes, you know, I change structural aspects of the story. So it's very important for her to look at it again. And she does do... Uh, developmental edit and line editing at the same time. And one of the ways to find your editor is always ask where did they work before, how many years of experience they have, and what type of editing they're doing. It's usually not a good idea to hire someone who does everything because it's a different type of editing. That's a very astute observation. It's like what the, the different levels of editing might reflect the different levels that you need it to. Exactly. Because the, the way you approach developmental <clears throat> editing and line editing comes in hand because they do work on the run-on sentences. They look at the paragraphs. So it does come in handy. But if they also do copy editing, which is uh, strictly grammar, 
consistencies, you, you know, that's a different brain set. And you don't want to do copy editing at the beginning because you might cut that scene. Why would you pay someone to do copy editing when it might not even end up in the book? So it's very important to, you know, interview your editors. And if it's okay to recommend my my editing company, it's called the New York Book Editor. They're doing the exact same same thing that I recommended. They batch you with an editor. They tell you where they worked, what books they worked on, so you get to see this is not a sci-fi editor. It's not going to work. Or, or you know, uh, she's only doing horror, and my book is a children's book, right? So you definitely want to know what you're getting into. And what I really like about them is they're upfront with their prices. There's transparency. is so important. And not to mention they have a contract, which clearly states what they are responsible for and what you are responsible for. If you don't have a contract with your editor, that's a very big red flag because they can, you know, they can even claim that they wrote that book. You definitely don't want that. It hasn't happened, and I hope it will never happen, but you never know. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important uh, for an editor, for sure, to be familiar with your genre because some of them do definitely specialize. And if you're, I mean, it's one thing if you're, you know, proofread, if you're just getting a proofreader, but if you're going deep, you want that editor to really understand the nuances of your genre. Um, and unless they read a lot of that genre, they might not be aware. You don't want them making edits to say, like, you know, this doesn't make sense when it's something that's common to your genre, and you know they're not aware of that, and that's gonna, that's definitely gonna screw up the whole edit process. Absolutely. I think most editors are gonna sort of tell you up front too, right? Because you know, uh, editors work a lot on word of mouth, and if they end up uh, giving you a poor edit because for whatever the reason is, let's say, you know, you uh, you write in a genre they're not familiar with, that's going to reflect badly on them, right? Mm -hmm. So it makes sense uh, from their perspective to be able to say, look, uh, you know, this isn't a genre I work with. So hopefully your editor is doing that. Absolutely. Although you would be surprised how many out there trying to get into the sci-fi genre, for example, when they only done literary fiction. And it is not the same mindset. One is a little bit more... Uh, thoughtful, you know, more drama, more happening in the, the the mind of the character as opposed to action and active. So it's it's really important to do your legwork, look into everything you can, and and trust your gut instincts and absolutely gather recommendations. You know, that word of mouth, as you said, Craig, it is priceless. And um, I wish everyone the best because once you get to that editing, you're getting very close to that finishing line of publishing your book. But that's not the end of your writing journey. That's only a new beginning. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, like we said, like there's not it. The editing has to start with yourself. You have to self-edit. You have to, you know, tweak everything. Then you send it off. Now. Um, to go over for people that aren't aware, you know, the different levels of of editing, right? I mean, the very basic being proofreading, they're really just looking for, you know, spelling grammar mistakes, right? And you go up to copy editing, line editing, dev editing, dev editing being like that, like the deep level of editing where they're really, they could even be giving you suggestions about the story, um, about plots, about characters. Um, 
inconsistencies like you mentioned, right? Although some of that would be caught in some of the other levels like copy and line editing, but um, but dev editors almost work with an author uh, to, to sort of improve the book uh, as opposed to sort of the lower levels of editing, which are really more just, you know, making sure that everything that you've written is sort of correct, right? Absolutely. And that's why it's so important to to do the upfront work on your own, you know, cut down from a thousand pages to 500 to 300 because they do charge by, uh, you know, word. Uh, unless you're going for an epic fantasy, then it's okay to have a thousand pages. You know, um, it's uh, I always say that that editing is very complex and it almost starts when you sit down to write that first draft because you need to know your premise. You need to know of course, the structure, the tools, the craft that you're using. You need to have some kind of roadmap. Your characters need to be developed so you understand who they are, what are they going, how are they going to change, you know, that character arc. And then you need to know, um, is this a series? Is this a standalone? And if it's a series, you, it's always a good idea to have an outline, some basic outline of where your series is going. So you don't end up locking yourself in a corner in the first book or the second book and have to do revision and change it drastically, which the readers will catch, right? So you want to have a lot of upfront work that uh, if you're a plan planner, there are a lot of pantsers. I'm not sure I can talk about that. I tried pantsing and I ended up in a really deep, dark hole. <laughs> with my <laughs> Easy to write yourself into a corner, right? <laughs> exactly. And that's when I went to back to conferences, uh, workshops, uh, how-to books, and cannot recommend you enough to read a lot of how-to books, see what resonates, see what makes you excited, and picking the right story is also part of the editing process, even though you say it's you think it's different. But if you spend years on something that you're not excited about, why would you spend money on editing? So there are a lot of things you can do before you sit down and edit your work or send it to the editor. And always pick the story that you are most excited about, because chances are you're going to spend many years working on that. Yeah, I think that's a good point in the sense that, you know, the idea that um, you want to be, you want to wait until you're happy with your work before mm -hmm. sending to the editor. The The idea of the editor is not to take a book that is just not great and make it great, right? Even a dev editor, that's not really their job. You're supposed to come up with the great book and they're just sort of helping you polish and, and, and tweak the areas that need to be um to be really fixed but you know you really really want to wait until you're really happy with the story um and and to your point like if you if you write something and, and you're just not happy with it maybe that means you know don't send it to an editor until you are or move on to something else because uh, you might just be wasting your time and money exactly and i i have to to uh piggyback on what you said said craig is that being happy with your work is, is a double-edged sword because we writers, we tend to be so critical about our own work. So it could be a really, really good draft, but we won't even recognize it because we're so critical. 
So one thing that you can do is after finishing at every draft, which I highly recommend, no matter how bad you think it is, always finish that draft. Then celebrate that you finished it because it is an accomplishment. And then try to step away for a month or a couple of weeks just so that you can basically cleanse your mind, cleanse your palate, so to speak. And get that fresh eyes, you know, fresh pair of eyes to look at it again. When we're working on our draft, we get so close to our story. We we don't have that. We lose a little bit of that excitement. Let's put it that way. <clears throat> we read it over and over and over again, right? So it doesn't feel as fresh. So when you step away, it gives you that chance to get excited again and and look at it in a new way. And appreciate what you've done. Right, and and I mean to my, to to just clarify, like I didn't mean definitely most most authors are um, never sort of totally satisfied with with, with their work. But I, I'm not talking about like you know you've written a book and you're like this you know still needs to be tweaked a little bit and this and that. I'm talking about if you're if you're just not happy with the story and you just don't think it's working. And or it's boring, or it's you know you just you've lost your way. The editor's not gonna fix that. It's it's you know you want to you want to be happy with the the general story, the characters and everything. Sure, there might be some tweaks that need to happen. That's that's for sure. And and most and like you said, most authors <laughs> are never happy. Which actually leads to one of the other points that we were talking about earlier is um, how do you know when it's time to just cut the cord? and send it off to the editor because you might just rewrite forever. Mm -hmm. That is one of the hardest questions to answer, especially when you're in the beginning of your writing journey, because it could feel like that what you did is not perfect. But here is the best part of writing. It doesn't have to be perfect. As long as you did your best, you did the legwork, you put in the effort, you did the rewrites, you did your own revisions, you will reach a point when you say, there is nothing more I can do here. I need that editor. And it can take a year, it can take two years, or in my case, it can take six years to achieve that point when you say, I did everything I can. And the funny part about writing is, of course, if I would go back today and try to revise my first book, I'm sure I would find something. But that's the beauty of writing. You evolve as you write your books. You become a better writer with each draft, each book. So it's not really valuable for you to go back and try to revise your first book. Just remember, you're getting better as a writer as you go and produce more books. Isn't that the truth? Like right. it's it's one of those things. The more you, it's like the the an analogy of the the pot makers. You know, there were the group of people who had to make the perfect pot, and there were a group of people who had to make the best pot, the most pots ever. And the people who made the most pots ended up making the best pots because it's just a case of practice. Mm -hmm. Exactly, and you know, I always say to writers that try to find the fun when you write your book. It's so important to enjoy what you're doing. To, to be comfortable and to have fun because if you're not having fun, how will your readers have fun? So writing and editing, it, it is so big because it starts with when do you sit down to write? 
You know, do you have music? Maybe you need a candle to lit next to you. Maybe you need to meditate. Whatever it is, you develop as a writer and who you are and learn what works for you. And the more fun you have, the better your books become and the easier it becomes to write that draft. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, we all as writers have been through that point where especially, well, obviously, once you've written a bunch of books, like, I look back at the first few books I wrote, and it's they're cringeworthy. But, um, but, but as to, um, you know, to what Roland was saying, when you write more and more and more books, you're going to necessarily get better. And I think that the, the key there is, you know, so practice is going to improve you. Um, but don't, just practice on that one book and rewrite it and rewrite it and rewrite it right because you've got to move on you've got to tell different stories meet different characters and that's really how you're going to improve you if you just keep rewriting rewriting thinking oh i'm improving every time on this one book you're really just sort of keeping yourself back and and holding yourself from from really growing i think yeah, it's a, it's quite a, a balancing game, uh, right? At this point in my writing journey, I usually write the, the book that I'm going to publish in that current year in January. And then in February, March, I start developing the notes for the next book for the next year. So I do work on multiple books and and I try to make the most out of that time. But I also try to include time off. So I don't encounter that dreaded writing block, right? Which often could be from burning out a little bit, you know, pushing too hard or not knowing where to go with your draft or what to do or how to express your thoughts in a creative medium of writing. So it's extremely important to be kind to yourself, right? Don't try to edit what you just wrote. I always recommend to writers to write your scene write your chapter, and then if you have to, go back after you're done. Or what's even better is keep going forward. Everyone will find what works for them and what helps them to get that forward momentum so they can finish their book. Yeah, each revision you write, I think it makes sense to have some sort of period of, of, of a break or a reflection before just jumping right back. I mean, I wouldn't be like, you know, typing away and I write the end and then I just flip back to page one and start over again, right? You definitely need, I think, that time in between. Um, and then you wanna almost let the the story sit with you for a while. I think we often talk about, Roland and I often talk about that idea that your first draft is you telling yourself the story um, and then the later drafts are when you really bring it out into more of a of a book. And, um, you know, you can do that by sort of after you've told yourself the story, sort of now let that sit with you for a little bit. And I think a lot of people do that. They'll take that first draft and throw it in a drawer and then work on the next book and then come back to it when the when the next one's done and start their rewrites. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the other things that as self-published authors, we, we have to think not just about editing, but about creating a social media platform, having a blog. And what's better way to have a blog when you do writing prompts? 
and whatever you write can automatically go onto your blog. And it could be fun little odd stories, which allows you to have a creative outlet to practice writing without critically uh, looking at what you wrote and to not look at the blank screen and dread it. I highly recommend writing prompts. They have so many functions and they're a lot of fun to, to do it, you know, basically. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of ways to to sort of make writing fun and to sort of take a break from the sort of heavy thinking that an author often has to do, especially in your genre where you're world building or you're you're coming up with a magic system or you know a futuristic society, right? Some of that stuff really requires some heavy thought as opposed to a story that is really just a character driven, you know, plot driven. Not that there's not some some thought that has to go into that as well, but like you're not building a whole world or whole system that has to really work well together. I find that that kind of thing can be really mentally draining uh, unless you're the type of person that really, you know, enjoys that kind of thing. But I think that a lot of authors that do write it spend sort of separate amounts of time. Like first you come up with that sort of world and that system, and then you sort of build your story once that's sort of done, right? Um, that's one approach. Uh, the way I approach sci-fi fantasy is I always start with the structure. I always start with the plot. And even the characters are organically uh, meeting the plus. So I don't even know how they look like when I sit down for that first draft. I just know what's motivating them. And what I love about sci-fi fantasy, it allows me to magnify societal issues in a different world that you could say is not Earth, but we still face the same issues, oppression, uh, refugees, or hum human elements of life, you know, love triangles, grief. And it's a beautiful genre to explore. So I always start with structural world building. I know how the world challenges my hero. I know how it's going to make her face that false belief that she has in herself, which as she faces challenges, she overcomes these uh, false beliefs and she becomes a stronger person. And the best part is she learns how she hurts others with her actions, which often stems from that false belief that she's not good enough. She's not smart enough. Whatever is it, she's going to learn that that's not true. And she realizes that she hurt others, which is so beautiful because in real life, we do hurt others with our actions. And the best way to be self-aware and become a better person is to learn that we need to be avoiding that hurt and, and to recognize it, apologize if possible, and move on. And that is such a beautiful way to craft a story, let it be a sci-fi fantasy or any other genre what's what's more character-driven. I, I wonder, too, like when you're writing something like that where you know you're and i agree like a lot of sci-fi is um sort of a reflection of our own society and you know it's sort of a way of saying hey you know look at these people look at the crazy thing they're doing and then we're all like but wait we do that too um when you hand your book to an editor uh are you just saying you know here's the book go ahead or are you sort of saying to giving them some kind of um things to think about questions you maybe want answered like you know did i 
meet my goal of making sure that this character, you know, changed the right way and that this, you know, um, reflection of this part of our society was truly reflected well, did that come off well, you know, are are you sort of asking those questions to your editor or are you just saying, here's my book and, and then seeing what they come back with? That's a great question, Craig, because with the first book, I had no idea what editing entails. I had an idea, but of course, reality is always different from what I imagined. So in the first one, I just worked very hard, revised, and then I sent it to them. With the second one, I had questions uh, in the email that I sent, and I, I asked you know, my editor, I'm not sure if the world building is enough. And then with book three, something wasn't working that was structural, but I couldn't figure out what. And then I had, uh, you know, those questions of, I feel like the first, you know, the beginning of this book doesn't work. And then with book four, I actually had uh, parental faces inside the manuscript because I realized uh, suddenly they had a hut. I have to add, go back earlier and add that hut. Or I figure out the log line halfway through the story that's going to be the powerful, uh, you know, ending that will, you know, make the reader go, oh, this is very good. So it depends on the book, depends on how much, uh, you know, uh, upfront work I did. There are sometimes when I just send it, like, I don't know what to do with this. It's all yours. <laughs> Have fun. Or sometimes I know that I need to switch the goal. And I go back and I work on it before she even tells me. So it's a tough one. It really is a tough question. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, as long as the editor is open to giving that sort of feedback, and I think if you're, especially if you're going for a more of a developmental edit, then they definitely would be, as opposed to sort of a proofreader. I mean, you might just get their opinion on something, but doesn't mean they're going to necessarily help you fix it. Another option would be using beta readers to answer some of those questions. Mm -hmm. um, do you ever use beta readers, and if so, at what pro at what point in the process are you using? I used uh, very few beta readers. That was my poor husband who read everything <laughs> he wrote. And he didn't realize that the marriage vow included, you will read everything she writes in the future. So he was my first uh, beta, alpha, omega reader. And then as my son got older, I dragged him into, I need your opinion on this. He, you're the Gen Z. What do you think? Is this work? Also, I'm trying to write fiction that, yes, mainly it's for uh, you know, uh, female audience, but maybe it works for others as well, right? So the more, um, uh, the farther I got along with the series, the more I realized I need other eyes. So now I have a couple of friends who I tab before I send it to the editor or after the first editing when I got the notes from my editor back. But I also want to know, is there anything else that I could do? I always ask that question. What more I can do? Is there anything else that helps my story? So I collect the feedback from multiple sources and that will help me to figure out What's the pattern here, right? You always look for the pattern and then try to see, is there a way I can fix it or or not? And then, well, I mean, one of the things you have to be sort of careful about with that is um, how, um, when, you're, when you're using somebody who's close to you, you have to worry about whether or not you're gonna get uh, honest feedback or I don't want to hurt your feeling feedback, right? And I, I think if I gave my book to certain, you know, if I gave my book to my mom, it would be perfect. <laughs> she would have <laughs> no edits to give me. 
um, but you know, if so, so you want to sort of be careful with that um, when you're when you're giving it to people because it's, you know, even if they're not doing it consciously, they you know they might sort of be holding some things back, telling you what you kind of want to hear, um, as opposed to sort of giving it to more of a of an independent sort of mm -hmm. baby reader or whatever, right? Absolutely. Uh, in fact, last year I dragged my husband and my son to a workshop that was multiple uh, big name authors were talking about their structure that they invented or they created. And so I dragged them that I said, you need to pay attention because you're my, you know, alpha beta reader and I need you to understand what I'm doing. And they were like, why am I here? <laughs> but uh, it was very beneficial because they started to recognize certain things as they were watching TV shows or movies. And we would have discussions of, hey, the self-regulation didn't quite work in the end. I love that. So they got a little too much information and too much behind the scene. But it's, um, it's a very interesting, uh, you know, when you start to recognize the patterns of what other authors do, how they tell their stories. And, and again, as you said, you have to be careful with beta readers. But uh, here's the thing. Neil Gaiman said that when your reader tells you that there is something wrong with your, your scene, they're almost always right. But when they tell you how to fix it, they're almost always wrong. So the way I look at this feedback is that what's the pattern? If I keep hearing things like the middle is too slow, then I know that structurally that means there is not enough conflict. Right. That's often why it becomes slow. How do you create conflict? Conflict comes from the opposition of principles and values and both for the opponent and the hero going for the same goal and butting heads. And the opponent doesn't mean they're a bad person. That's a very two dimensional approach. Opponent could be a family member. Right. It's often the closer they are to the hero the better opponent they are because they know exactly what that weakness to hit that will hurt the hero the most, not because they want to hurt them, but because they have that inside knowledge. Yeah, I think that that's an important point as well. We've talked about that in the past in terms of reviews where, um, you know, nobody likes to get negative reviews and and certainly even if you even if you're sending it off to beta readers sometimes they might have some some negative ish things to say about it right um and the important thing i think to to look for is those um those common those common complaints you know the patterns that emerge from what people are saying they're all going to say it a little bit differently but if, if only one person is complaining about something and everyone else is fine with it, you can ignore that, right? Everybody's different. Your, your book's not gonna appeal to everybody. Um, but if everybody's sort of hinting around the same sort of problem, uh, you know, then that's when you really need to pay attention and figure out, okay, what is it that isn't working here for people? Uh, and, and I agree with you, like, don't look to them to give you the answers, um, but they can at least, tell you where the problems are absolutely and when it comes to feedback you know probably the first feedback you're going to get from your read and critic group you can find fellow authors that you just meet at a cafe or in your living room or you can go to places like a, a writer's uh, you know a workshop group where 
for traditionally published authors offer some sort of uh, read and critique, right? So hearing a critique is, is, as you said, super difficult. And one of the best way to handle critiques is to know that it's not personal, even if it sounds like, don't take it personally. And, and always look for what's the, what's the best what they're saying that helps me to get my story to become even better. And, and third is to have an open mind. When you have an open mind, you can sort through those feedbacks. And then lastly, don't try to explain or defend your work. One of the, the cons of having a read and critique is that they usually see 25 pages or a couple of chapters. So they don't see the big picture that you as an author have in mind. And that's okay. That's, that's why some of those feedbacks is more of a reader's comment, which means they notice something's happening. They notice the setup you're doing. And that's perfect. You want them to notice that. And you don't have to answer that in that chapter because you're setting something up that's going to pay off later, right? So when they, they as you said, Craig, when they notice that pattern, now that's something to pay attention to, you know? It's the character two-dimensional. You have too many brown-haired characters who always start their sentence with, yes, uh-huh, uh-huh. Whatever it is they notice, <laughs> that was a horrible example, whatever they notice, and that's a pattern, that's a, it's a good idea to pay attention to it. Yeah. And, I mean, those are things that um, you can fix sort of before it gets to the editing process, um, because ideally you're, I mean, you're probably sending them to these people before you send it to the editor. Uh, editor is usually where you want to send it last, mm -hmm. uh, because you want, like we said at the beginning, you want as polished a product as you can before you send it to them. Um, and if it's a lot, when you get feedback from beta readers and from writing groups and stuff, they might have very big issues that they identify. And which will then, if you need to fix them, would then cause a massive rewrite. And if you've already gone through the editing process and then you have to do a big, big rewrite because of some big, big problem, now you're definitely gonna have to send it back to editing, right? So you definitely wanna identify those issues first, fix them, polish everything, then send it off to editing. Exactly, and try to have fun along the way, especially when you're a self-published author because publishing a book is just one aspect of, of what it means to be a self-published author. Then comes the social media, then comes events, then comes marketing, ads, all that stuff that's not going to feel every single time like fun. But, <laughs> you know, if you if you like it, if you enjoy it, lean in, try to do what you enjoy the most. Uh, see if you can learn, enjoy others. That's not so much fun, but always find what works for you. And it's okay to do it at your own pace. It doesn't matter what other people do and where they are in their writing journey. It matters what you do and what's best for your writing journey. Yeah, every author is different. I mean, I mean some authors really don't do a lot of editing, right? They, they write and then they send it to a proofreader and then they, they hit publish. But um, there are others that really, really rely on feedback that they get throughout the process through beta readers, through uh, writing groups, um, through their developmental editor. Uh, and it, it, it's not a matter of one way being right and one way being wrong. It's just it, it's what works for you and, and you know, everybody's different. 
Exactly. And that's why, you know, it's fun to be an author. You get to learn who you are as an author. You get to learn who you are as a person because we are taught to write what our truth is. And I often recommend writers, no matter what genre they're doing, uh, is to read a lot of pop psychology books to understand who they are, to understand how their character works, right? What are the phobias that they, they're not even aware of that they're doing? Because that could be a great conflict to explore when it comes with another character, right? It's such an amazing, uh, you know, um, job, in quotation mark, because we love what we do. We follow our passion. We follow our dream. And it's just such a great experience. Yeah, and I, I think that any author that does it for a living enjoys the process. Otherwise, there's probably a oh, lot you, you'd of hope so. Your jobs out there. <laughs> well, there's a lot of easier ways to make buck, right? Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I don't know. I don't know why you do it. If, I mean, a lot of people are doing it and not making a living on it because they love it, right? There's oh, not yeah. a lot of jobs out there that you're going to do, even if you're not making enough money to do them in fact some some people are writing and and paying out more than they're taking in so it's like costing them you know so i mean it's it's got to be a, a love for, for what you're doing otherwise yeah i don't know why you do it absolutely oh my gosh this is not a get rich quick scheme right this is something we love and we do it anyway and i showed my son my earnings which looks great you know and not so great when you look at the real life. But as you said, that's not what we're doing for. We're doing for because this is who we are. I do it because I cannot exist without telling stories. And it's just an amazing experience. And I hope to write on my deathbed because <laughs> I have so many stories to tell. And I will not stop until I told them all. Oh, well, I mean, that's... Do you know, that's a really good philosophy to have. I keep thinking of all the stories that if I got hit by a bus tomorrow, I would never write. And it's kind of like it does give you an incentive to just write them no matter what what ends up happening to them. Right. Gives and you, that's why... It gives you an incentive to look both ways, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And that's why I always write down those ideas, no matter how crazy and outlandish they seem in that moment. Because maybe in five years, you look at it and you're like, that's brilliant. It's so relevant for today, right? You really never know. I mean, who could have predicted that we're going to have COVID? And we're going to have a lockdown. And now all those books that talked about pandemics, I'm sure they're doing well right now. <laughs> right? Uh -huh. That's life for you. It's unpredictable. You try to predict, but you really can't. <laughs> Absolutely. And then writing is what you do to make sense of it. Huh? Well, unfortunately, we are coming up to the top of the hour, but this seems like a really good place to kind of wrap things up. I think it's been really fascinating speaking to you. And Craig, what, what's the big thing that you've, you've got out of uh, talking to SJ? Well, I think that, you know, we we really talked about the the idea of the the revision process in general that your book has to go through. It's not just the editing, but it's it's all the parts in between. Um, and that is something that is so important that a lot of authors, they want to rush to finish their book. You know, as soon as they, they finish writing that first draft, they just want to get it out there. But you really want to get the best book out there that you can and that means really just getting some other opinions on it and and, and really um sitting on it letting it percolate through your brain rewriting it 
getting it polished and edited because that's the best way to give yourself the most chance of success. But also, I mean, you know, sure, you're doing this, like we said, maybe it's not for a living or whatever, but it would be great if it was. So why not give yourself every chance to succeed at what you're doing? Um, and this is the way to do it, right? Is is really, really like make sure that you're getting out the best product possible. So uh, I think that talking through all that is really helpful and I hope let others feel the same way. That's so wonderful. Well, SG, where can people find your books more about you? Where would they go on the internet to do that? Uh, readers and the audience can find my book on Amazon, Google, Kobo, Apple Books, The Usual Suspects. They can find me on sgblaze.com, on Instagram, sgblaze, uh, Official, and on X, sgblaze Author. And if anyone has any questions, please hit me up on my social media. My email is inside my book on the copyright page. I'm happy to support fellow authors, and I'm here to help. Oh, well, that's a wonderful thing. We'll pop a link down below into the uh, description of the, the video. And of course, while you're down there, all you viewers out there, all listeners on Spotify or wherever, make sure you leave a nice little comment for SG Blaze to tell her how much you appreciated all the wisdom she has laid down upon us today. And also while you're down there, you might as well hit that like button, that subscribe button if you're not already subscribed. And there is even a bell icon which you can click to get notified every time we have a new episode of Fully Booked. So please do click that. We'll be back next week with another episode of Fully Booked. So until then, thank you very much. Cheerio.